Okay, so I'm going to take you, if you will go with me, to John 8. We'll be there in a little bit. I'm going to take my little ribbon from my Bible and put it over there so I'll be in the right spot. The date was April 27th, uh, 1994. Now, if you don't know that date, you'll be just like me. I didn't know about it till I read about it this week. Um, for many South Africans, this was kind of an Independence Day. Um, first post-apartheid national election was held on April 27, 1994. Uh, so all South Africans of voting age were now eligible to vote regardless of their skin color. Um, before that, even in their own country, non-white South Africans weren't free to live full and flourishing lives. And those things began to change at least on that day. They call it, in South Africa, they call it Freedom Day to remind them of that decades-long quest for equality and, and for those kinds of things. So freedom can be a lots of different things. You and I can look at it from a lot of different perspectives. Freedom uh, can be looked at from at least four different angles. Those who have freedom and know they have freedom. Those who lack freedom and they know they don't have freedom. Those who have freedom, but they don't realize it. And those who lack freedom and they don't even know it. We're going to talk about what Jesus taught us about freedom and liberty and those kind of things today. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how the Bible is set up. So stick with me for just a minute here. Uh, in the Bible, um, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called sometimes called the synoptic gospels because they come from similar perspectives and all of them have kind of common material. They, they uh, borrow from one another. Um, in particular, we think that Matthew and Luke borrowed uh, from Mark but, and from some other sources. But the truth is that John's gospel is a little different. It includes material that's not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the truth is, there's some uh, material that John omits that you find in the other gospels. So the story that we're going to deal with today, or the teaching we're going to deal with today, is of the former variety. The synoptics don't really cover the material that you and I find in John 7, 8, and 9. Now, does that make you nervous that the gospels aren't exactly synced up? It doesn't me. I'm going to tell you, if, um, if uh, Ellie and I walked out of here and viewed an accident, a car wreck, you know he'd tell the story different than I told it, don't you? Okay. I'd be right. He would be right. <laughs> but you're, you're really illustrating the point. It's not that one was right and the other three were wrong or vice versa. It's just they have a different perspective. They're, they're centered on uh, different details. Uh, just like different observers might have dissimilar yet accurate tellings of the same event. Um, uh, I was with a, a, a friend this week in California at a series of preacher meetings for three days, like 18 hours a day of preacher meetings. Um, 
I've had enough church to last me for a while, okay? And, but my bet is that he would tell the story a little differently than I do. Yeah, Brad? I've got a question, sir. Okay. In the beginning of John 8, I have a note that says, the earliest manuscripts of many other ancient witnesses do not include John 7, 53 through 8, 11. Does your Bible include it? Yes, it does. Okay. Um, Why did they not include it? It has to do with the with the timing or the age of manuscripts. So what what they're going to say in a lot of your Bibles, they'll include it, but they'll they'll reference it or they'll exclude it altogether. So I think it's from like um, um, from the end of, of seven through about um, um, uh, verse eleven. Some of the older manuscripts don't have that story, so some of our Bibles exclude it or they put it in another section. I wouldn't want to have my John 8 without the story of the woman caught in adultery and that wonderful telling of it. Uh, it just has to do with kind of the timing of that story. And so when they found old, the more old manuscripts that they found, uh, occasionally they'd find, well, wait a minute, that one wasn't in there. So they kind of got a bit of a question mark after it. I really don't have a question mark about it. Good story. Yeah. That, it, it, and it's not just a story. It happened. So, yeah. So, great question, though. But, and it, it occurs right here in John 8. So, um, uh, it, 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 it's important to, to uh, a little bit, at least obliquely, to our discussion today. Now, John, we know, had a special relationship with Jesus. Um, don't you know? The other 11 got tired of John calling himself the disciple that Jesus loved, okay? But uh, um, I heard Bill Search say that a couple weeks ago, and it stuck with me. Um, he was one of the three witnesses to uh, the transfiguration. So Peter, James, and John, he was one of those guys that got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, he had a front row seat to what Jesus did, what he taught, his work, his miracles, and so... Today's scripture is part of a longer passage um, that uh, kind of a discourse that took place in Jerusalem during what is known as the Festival of Tabernacles. Now look, look back, just turn back left one page, okay? I want to read some things here. So 7-2, all right? Now the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, some places it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, was near. All right, jump down to verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, he then himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Now, his brothers, his literal physical brothers, had said to him, you need to go up to the feast and proclaim yourself. And the Bible tells us, John tells us, because the brothers really didn't believe in him. Interesting. So he said, no, I'm not going. And then he went anyway. Um, um, so the Jews were seeking him at the feast and they were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. So he says to the brothers, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do it on my own terms. And he goes alone uh, to there later on. So he goes to this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the festival that he went to was a one of the prime Jewish festivals that began on the 15th day of the month of Tishri, which was 
either late in September or early October. It celebrated two things. First of all, it celebrated the end of harvest season. It was the ingathering of produce. And secondly, it commemorated how God took care of them and provided them for them during the 40 years of Israel's wilderness wandering. So one of the things they did during this time is they would um, take all their meals in an arbor or a tent or a, or a uh, um, uh, some kind of a, a non-permanent dwelling, maybe in the backyard. They'd, they'd place, uh, imagine when um, my little kids in Michigan occasionally will camp out in the, in the backyard um, just so. Well, this was, uh, they did this or they'd take their meals out there to commemorate all those years when they were in temporary housing, uh, wandering nomadically in the wilderness. So it celebrates all those things. Um, um, ultimately, the festival thanked God for his daily provision. So that gives Jesus a backdrop for teaching some things about himself. Now, let me give you a couple of them. Jesus is going to call himself um, the water. Remember, he called himself to um, the, the woman at the well. He calls himself uh, living water. It's what I've got to give you is living water. Well, during this festival, a priest would take water from the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. He'd carry it to the temple and pour it over the altar. Uh, in the, in the festival's final day, the priest would march around the altar without pouring that water, uh, which would demonstrate their hopeful expectation that the Messiah would provide water as been, had been promised centuries before, like God provided water in the desert. So it's really important that Jesus says, I'm the living water. All right. Secondly, he's going to call himself uh, and by the way, Jesus in John 7 during this says, let anyone who's thirsty come and drink. Oh, wow. Uh, that was historic, folks. That was dramatic when he says this. So, and then on each night of the festival, uh, a giant oil lamps were uh, lit in the temple's court of women. Against that backdrop, Jesus claims uh, uh, in, in John 8, 12 and other places, I am the light of the world. Wow. So catch the drama and the importance of that teaching in the backdrop of this festival of booths or festival of tabernacles. Rhonda and I were working in central Florida when I was in college. Uh, at, I, was, I was doing a music and youth work at a United Methodist Church, a big United Methodist Church in a little town of Bowling Green, Florida. We had to drive almost an hour one way to get there. And we had, some of you may have worked in the past in a Bill Glass crusade. Well, there was a Bill Glass crusade that came through, kind of came through that county and we, our church kind of was involved in it and we helped out in it. Um, and um, uh, when I got to seminary, I had a good old Southern Baptist friend. There was a Bill Glass crusade that came through Fort Worth while I was in seminary. And my friend Sam Jones, uh, who was a good Alabama, Samford, Alabama boy, came, came to me and said, uh, man, in his Alabama way, 
I know you've heard Bill Glass before. Was he intense? And I said, no, he was in a football stadium. I, I didn't catch his question. Just didn't catch the question at all. It went right over my head and gained speed. Yeah. They lived at least part of their lives right then in tents. Okay? T-E-N-T-S. All right. Now, Steve Blair, if that doesn't set you up, I don't know anything that can. All right? We're going to start. If you, you'll begin, I'm going to have you go ahead and read 31, 32, and 33 from chapter 8 in John. To the Jews who that believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? All right, now, um, if you're reading from the NIV, it might say um, that um, in verse 31, it might say, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you hold to my word. Is that what your Bible says? Sorry? Hold to my teaching. Hold to my teaching. Okay. Uh, in my particular uh, translation, it's going to say, if you continue in my word. So both of those are true. We'll kind of unpack them a little bit here. All right. So he's addressing those who have heard his message. He's addressing those who've heard the message. They've heard him teach, and they're just astounded by that. And they've witnessed healing miracles and other kind of miracles, and they're really astounded at that. So we're dealing here with when he says, um, so Jesus was saying to those who had believed in him, he's saying here, there are those who, um, who are amazed at him, but that's the extent of their belief. Catch that for a minute? They're amazed at what he has done and can do and how he teaches and marvel at that. But they haven't moved on in their belief. So the idea here is, okay, um, uh, that they need to, in, in the New American Standard version, it's going to say they need to continue in his word. Uh, the the uh, NIV is going to say they need to hold to his teaching. Abide, okay, so that's, they need to live in it. Uh, let it affect them, let it take lodging in them. Move on in that teaching. Amazement is not enough. Uh, being impressed is not enough. So, Jesus here establishes the way to distinguish real belief from the unreal. Okay? All right? Uh, it's if we've moved on. There's a difference here. And so when he gets to verse 30, what you and I have marked as verse 32, and maybe, maybe you've quoted it before, you've heard it. It's a favorite verse here uh, at our church. Uh, then he says uh, in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, first of all, you've got to understand here that Jesus is identifying himself as the truth. Let's look, okay? Somebody, um, uh, let, let's look at a couple of uh, uh, John verses that are going to help us with that. Um, 
who will go to 117? John 117. Cindy, you go to 117? Okay. And 1837. Uh, that, that's great. By the way, look back here who's getting ready to read. Karen's going to read this morning. Isn't that great to have Karen and Eva back and their niece? All right. So you and I know that he identifies himself as the, capital T, truth. John 14, 6. Okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right. No man comes to the Father except by me. Listen to other kind of references of this. 117. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay. Truth came through Jesus. All right. Karen, read 1837. You are a king then, said Pilate Jesus. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. I mean, in, in some of our Bibles, it could almost be capitalized, capital T. So, the idea here is, okay, he, you will know the truth, him, and the truth, capital T, it's not capitalized in your Bibles, but it could have been will set you free. So the nature of freedom here can lead to all kinds of different in, in, interpretations. For some, an expression of freedom might mean an unrestricted pursuit of what I want to do. For others, it, an expression of freedom may mean nothing more than the ability to refuse to submit to anyone else. An attitude of defiance. But none of those, neither of those, is the freedom that Jesus is talking about here. He is talking about eternal freedom. That word ought to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. If I had it, it would. Okay. Spiritual freedom, eternal, lasting, forever freedom. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, you will know the truth. And your life will be made free forever by that truth. Amen. That's just kind of a wonderful thought, Amen. you know. For those of us that experience, we can say, yep, got the T-shirt. I get that. We're going to talk more about that as we go through. So then he says, uh, they react. Uh, it's interesting, verse 33 that, that Steve read. They react and say, uh, we're Abraham's people. How can you say you'll become free? So the idea, they don't get it here. Uh, many of us hearers assumed he was speaking of physical freedom. And, and we know from reading in other passages, even the Old Testament, that there was a spirit of freedom uh, that Jewish people had even while they were enslaved. Ah, you really don't have me. You just think you've got me. You know, there, there's that kind of thing. Uh, kind of this spirit of freedom. But this is a different kind the, um, it, it's interesting here. Uh, they failed to remember when they were enslaved that they were dependent on God. A failure to recognize the true nature of the kingdom of God. I read this this week. This came from uh, Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard's uh, watershed book. But he's going to say this about, uh, it's interesting, I'm, I'm going to try to keep 
coming back to uh, what Jesus teaches and what other what Paul's going to teach next week about the nature of the kingdom of God. Um, so l- listen to this. This is interesting to me. Indeed, the social and political realm, along with the individual heart, is the only place in all of creation where the kingdom of God or his effective will is currently permitted to be absent. I I will. It's deep. Thank you for saying that. Indeed, the social and political realm, so in society and politics, governments, along with the individual heart, is the only place in all of creation where the kingdom of God or his effective will is currently permitted to be absent. You got a choice to make whether the kingdom of God's going to be alive in your heart. Uh, in, in Europe, we're, we're seeing, uh, in Asia, we're seeing, in lots of places, in Africa, we're seeing places where God's effective will is just completely ignored and it's allowed despite the fact that God's kingdom is not nor has ever been in any kind of peril. God is not wringing his hands worried about the outcome of this whole thing. Dallas Willard goes on. So when Jesus directs us to pray thy kingdom come. He doesn't mean we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded. Amen. Isn't that just the best? On earth as it is in heaven. Wow. So, uh, Michael... As I was studying this, I rewrote uh, the verse in the negative. The opposite of knowing the truth and being free is to not know the truth and be in bondage to the lie you believe. Oh, wow. And that's exactly illustrated here. Okay, John, I'm going to have you go, if you will, to verse 34 and read down through verse 38. Because they're going to get in a little debate here over what, whether they're enslaved or in freedom. Um, apart from Jesus. 34 down to 38 from John 8. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Okay, we've got to catch this. I'm going I'm to hand out two or three other passages to listen to, 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 to read here. Uh, Cindy, can I get you to go to Romans 6? Uh, if you read verse 6 and then jump down to 16 and 17. Would somebody else go to 2 Peter 2.19? 2 Peter 2.19. Ellie, you get it? Thank you. All right, now, now, The idea here is when he says slavery or when they invoke this idea, he begins to school them on the bondage of sin. Now, I'm going to address just that next week from Romans 6 
as it kind of uh, is in context of this, okay? So this is not an earthly bondage like Joseph was in bondage under um, by the Egyptians or, or later or um, earlier them, okay? Uh, later them, I'm sorry. This is something important and something much more binding. Ron and I started talking this morning about um, that Gaithers are now singing a song called Chain Breaker, which is kind of a fun song to listen to. I don't know if we've done it here or not. I think Josh has done it in the, in the, uh, in the um, venue, but um, Chain Breaker. Uh, there's another, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Uh, this is that thing it's talked about. Um, um, Teresa, you guys on Thursday night probably talk about this some. Because there is some bondage that I can subject myself to that results in this kind of chains being surrounded by me. And only Jesus can break that chain. All right, now, that's kind of the idea here. Um, he schooled them on the bondage of sin. Okay, so let's read what um, Paul and Peter say about this same thing. Cindy, I'm going to ask you to read Romans 6, 6, and then jump down to 16 and 17. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. No longer be slaves to sin. Catch it? He's breaking the chains. Verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now been now claimed your allegiance. So Paul says, so you're in bondage? And your answer is, used to be. Used to be. One time in my life, yep, not now. What happened, Jesus? Okay. Listen to how Peter puts it. This is interesting to me. Um, in 2 Peter uh, 2.19, I think I gave that one to you, Ellie. Promising them freedom while they are themselves are slaves of corruption. For by that what anyone is overcome, by this he is enslaved. By this he is enslaved. If I'm overcome by something, I'm enslaved to it. That's kind of Jesus' reference here. The bondage of sin. And so in verse 35 that John read a little bit ago, he contrasts the position of a slave to that of a son. A slave could be sold. They could be set free. A son was always going to be a son. And he says, your sons and daughters. Quite a difference, huh? But he twists that, he turns that in this wonderful way in verse 36. Look at it again. So if the Son makes you free, capital S, Son, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The idea here is there is forever freedom in the Son, the only source of eternal life, the only real freedom you will ever find is in Him. Think about that for a minute. If the sun sets you free, you're really free. Only if the sun sets you free 
are you really free? And for those of us who experience that, it's like, hand up. I get it. I remember. I remember. And I celebrate where he has brought me from. Uh, Rhonda, our good friend Woody, used to sing, and you've sung it, um, to know where Jesus brought me from, to where I am today. Wow. Freedom. You know? Okay. One more thought. They're going to say, yeah, but we're Abraham's descendants. And he says in verse 37, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Uh, speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. So the idea here is a claim to Abraham was not enough. Jesus is going to say to them, I put several references here. Let's look at them just real quickly. Look at verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Uh, look back at 719, just back a page. Did not Moses give you the law and that none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And then in Romans 4, a kind of a classic passage here in Romans 4 about um, Abraham's faith. I'm going to read from verse 3 and then verse uh, 12. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And down to verse 12. And then the father of circumcision to those who are only of the circumcision, but also who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. The idea here is they're having a claim to Abraham, and he's saying that's not enough. You got to do what Abraham did. What did he do? He placed faith in God alone. And he honestly, Abraham had faith in the Messiah yet to come. You and I have faith in the Messiah who came and lived and died and rose again. And it's coming again. So, so, I'm going to submit to you that the king, capital K, okay, the king, came to establish a brand new day of freedom. Brand new day. Not like anything before him. And it's that which we look back on and celebrate and put our faith in. The freedom that he offers me. And I'm going to suggest to you that the only way to John 8.32 freedom is in relationship with the capital K King. The only way is to know him, to um, be in relationship with him. And so he makes the claim to be the light of the world and living water. And I've got to ask, am I living in the light as he has left it for me. Am I drinking from the fountain? 
who he claimed to be. Gary. Uh, in verse 31, he starts with that very thought. It's about where we exist. It does not say, if you obey the word, it says, do you abide or exist in me? Yeah. And it kind of changes the way they think because they think of obedience and doing. Don't you think there is no way to really live by this? Without living in him. I, I just think John 15 tells me that. I mean, all kinds of places it tells me that. In fact, I'm going to get really bound up in something if I'm trying to live some kind of a, uh, an obedience apart from knowing the one who is the truth that will set me completely free. Wayne? Only by him can you be free. I think it's, it, I think it's so Completely true. And you know what I love about the last few minutes we've been together is we've been talking about this kind of freedom. I've caught your eye, several of you, and I've seen your head go, do this deal. Yep. Do you know what that indicates to me? A, you're living that relationship. You get it. The other thing it indicates to me, and, and I could tell you stories from my life, I won't. <laughs> you remember the bondage. <laughs> you know? Um, Andre Crouch sings from 50 years ago, take me back to the place where I first believed because I'm not going back before there. I'm not going back before there. Uh, I uh, had another one of those weeks where, where um, I'm at a church of, oh, it's, I'm going to guess it's a church of a thousand or so in um, Fremont, California. Um, it's a 10-year-old church. And man, these people really know how to worship. The black church, predominantly black congregation. And um, I positioned myself on Tuesday night after us. I'd already done about 16 hours by the time church started. The preacher preached for 80 minutes and I was right there the whole time after being up since 4 Oklahoma time. Okay, um, But I positioned myself behind the Hammond organ player. Wow. <laughs> you know? They just do it a little different than we do it. And this guy could make that thing talk. Both hands were, Hubert, you've seen him. Both hands were going. He was pulling draw bars and turning the Leslie on and then turning it off. And, and I thought, wow, I love what we've got here. But I love going somewhere else if no other reason than for the simple joy of knowing God's at work all over the place, in all kinds of places, doing all kinds of things. God's kingdom has never been in peril. God's kingdom marches on. I just want to be part of it. Amen. I want to be a subject of the kingdom where the king has said, I will set you free, as he has with many of us. God bless you. We're going to go to Romans 6 next week and talk about bondage and sin. We'll see what the Lord says about that. Okay? Have a great Sunday.